Thank you, Tyler. So much talent. Appreciate that being used in the service of the Lord. So turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to look at a, a passage of Scripture today that uh, for a long time, still today, can be very confusing. There was a, a lady doing a children's sermon, and she was doing this children's sermon talking about the loaves and the fishes. And she decided when she gathered all the kids up in the front of the church that she was going to head, go ahead and explain this to them. So she got a, a couple of pieces of bread and some fish sticks. And she said to the kids, now, if we were going to give these to everybody in the church, how would we do it? And they said, well, you'd have to break it up into really little pieces. You'd have to break it up into really little pieces. And she said, well, uh, what if you have given it to the church and you had enough for everybody and some left over? One child said, well, that would be a miracle. And another child said, you also have some leftovers. You would have enough to feed everybody. That would be something different. Well, I think as we look at this text of Scripture, we kind of go, what's the point of it? Well, what is it for? Jesus feeds a bunch of folks and then there's some left over. Uh, what is it all about? Well, let's read the text together and let's just kind of see what's up. Matthew chapter 15, verses 32 and following. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus said. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground and then he took seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and afterward the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 besides women and children. Now as we look at this, we just got to have a couple of ground rules ahead of time. In the previous chapter, our Lord had fed 5,000. In this chapter, He is feeding 4,000. Most commentators, when they look at these two texts, they make a distinction between those two feedings like this. The wording in this text and the location of where Jesus is signifies that Jesus is speaking to a Gentile audience, whereas in the previous chapter, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience based on his, uh, where he's at location-wise. He had just done a miracle up in the northern part near Tyre and Sidon, and as he is coming back, he's still in Gentile lands. So you can think of it like this. Jesus is doing a miracle for Jews and Jesus is doing a miracle for Gentiles. In other words, he's showing all the world that he is the Messiah. He is Lord of all. So we want to kind of answer this question today. How does Jesus show the Gentiles that he's the son of God? Uh, Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord of all the earth. And as his ministry is progressing, we see him touching those that are Jewish and those that are Gentile. Gentile being defined as non-Jew. Okay? So if you're following along on the outline, how does Jesus show that he is the Son of God? First of all, Jesus has lots of compassion. We see the compassion of Jesus. Look what it says in verse 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. So why is Jesus having compassion here? J.C. Ryle, the great commentator, said these words about this text. It's a curious and striking fact that of all the feelings experienced by our Lord when he was upon the earth, 
there is none so often mentioned as compassion. His joy, his sorrow, his thankfulness, his anger, his wonder, his zeal, all are occasionally recorded. But none of these feelings are so frequently mentioned as compassion. The Holy Spirit seems to be pointing out that this was the distinguishing feature of Christ's character and the predominant feeling of his mind when he was among men. Compassion, which means this. Deep inner mercy that turns into action. Deep feelings for others that are hurting that turns into action. For example, we see in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus went through the towns and the villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Watch this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. So when Jesus is looking at these people, he's saying, I have compassion for them because they've been with me three days and they've had nothing to eat. He says, I don't want to send anybody away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Now let's put this in perspective. If you go up to the beginning of this passage, let's see what they've been doing for the previous three days. This is a pretty amazing statement about Jesus. In verse 29, Jesus went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and Jesus sat down. Now watch verse 30. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and Jesus healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus had for three days been healing all their sick. He'd been touching them in a very, very special way. He's been doing a great miracle among them. And still, he says, man, they've been with me three days. They're physically hungry. He's doing all this great stuff, and he notices, in comparison, a smaller need, if you want to put it that way, that they were having. Jesus is concerned about the whole person, every need that we have. And we tend to think that God doesn't care if we're going through a difficult time. Perhaps God's helping others, but he's not helping us. One of the things that separates Jesus from every other religion on the, on the face of the earth is his compassion, his feelings of empathy, empathy toward others that turns into action. One of the things that we fall into a trap of is we get very selfish. We see other people that are hurting and we turn away. We see somebody on the side of the road holding up a sign, we'll work for food, and we automatically think, oh, you don't want work, you just want money. Or we see somebody that's hurting, I'm too busy, i got to keep on going. When Jesus saw somebody hurting, Jesus did something about it. In other words, one of the things you know you're becoming spiritually mature about is when you can start to have compassion for people that Jesus had compassion for people. Selfish people aren't compassionate. But when Jesus gets in your heart, when Jesus fully starts to control and influence your life, you're going to start to be compassionate for other people. And we see this in church history. Many years ago, there was a missionary named Alan Gardner. And in his life, in 1851, he passed away, but in his life, he chose to be a missionary to the Picton Islands. It was a very lonely assignment, a place at the tip of Southern America, South America. They didn't know what he was doing for a long time. Eventually, they couldn't find him because he had served faithfully in a very lonely way. 
People didn't know where he was. He was just plodding along, telling a, a people that didn't know Jesus about Jesus. He didn't have a whole lot of help in doing so. Finally, there was no contact for a while, and somebody actually stumbled upon his body, and they found that he had died in the work of the Lord. They found him alone on this island, and next to his body, there was a little uh, journal, an entry. They looked at it, and it said these words, I am overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God. But when they found his body, he had died of hunger, thirst, he had wounds on his body, and he was lonely. And he had the audacity to say, I'm overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. He had such compassion and concern for other people that he gave his life for Jesus. As we look at this text today, we've got to remember Jesus loves us and he's compassionate and he's affect the way that we live. Do we have compassion for other people? By nature, we tend to be selfish. By nature, we tend to want everything about us. You know you're becoming spiritually mature when you stop being more about yourself and you start to think like Jesus did. You care about others and it shows up in your behavior. Compassion. So our Lord is filled with compassion and that's kind of the basis as we get to point number two. Here's point number two. Jesus is Lord over creation. Now, this is a, an interesting part of the text kind of breaks down into several sections, but let's start in verse 34 and see what it says. Jesus asked, how many loaves do you have? And seven, they replied, and a few small fish. The word seven, by the way, in scripture is the number for perfection or completion. So Jesus is looking at this crowd of people. He's having compassion on them. He's concerned to meet their needs other than the ones he's already meeting. And he says to his disciples, how many loaves do you have? Because he wants to meet the, the physical and hungry needs of these people. A few small loaves and a, and a few small fish. Seven loaves and a few small fish. And Jesus is saying, okay, huge crowd, very few resources. Little resources, big crowd. Now, when you and I have a big problem and a little bit of resources to fix it, what do we do? We get really nervous, don't we? How am I going to fix this? How am I going to take care of this problem? What Jesus tells them to do is to relax. In verse 35, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. We tend to get more anxious. The wording there literally means Jesus said, sit down and relax. What Jesus is doing is he's reminding them and us, he is in control of all things, even when you and I don't think that he is. He's a compassionate God, and he's in control of all things, even when it looks like he's not. Big crowd, few resources. To personalize it, big problem that we have, few resources. How are we going to fix these problems that you and I have? And what he does here is instructive to all of us. Look what he says in verse 36. Notice what Jesus does. It's kind of the hinge of which this text turns. He took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. Now notice what happened. Jesus took what they had, seven loaves, a few small fish. He gave thanks, he broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. Alexander McLaren said, that's the definition of the church. You get from Jesus, you give thanks, and you give it away. That's the church's responsibility, the church's mandate. But I want you to focus on two words there. It's one word in the Greek. You go to Steo, but he had given thanks. Now, what do you do normally when 
you don't have enough. You don't give thanks. You panic. You get nervous. God, I need this, I need this. And you start to pray about what you need. And that's the, the tendency of the human heart. But what Jesus demonstrates for us here, because he knows that God's in charge of all things, because God's in control, he gives thanks for what you and I cannot see. Here's an interesting principle. For you. If you remember nothing else I say, remember this. Worldly people that don't know God give thanks after the fact. God's people give thanks before the fact. Those that don't know the Lord give thanks after. But God's people, before we see the answer, give thanks ahead of time. Christians give thanks ahead of time. Uh, notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Be joyful, always pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Compassionate people know to give thanks before they see God's answer. We see this again in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's the principle. You have this big problem. You have very meager resources. What do you do? You pray. You say, Father, I have no idea how I'm going to fix this thing. No idea at all. But you're God. You're in control of all things. I give you thanks for what you're doing. And I'll leave the answer with you. That's what Christians are supposed to do. And Jesus is demonstrating that for us right here and right now. If we don't give thanks ahead of time, what will we do? We'll be anxious. We'll be nervous. We'll panic. We'll take matters into our own hands. Either he's in control or we think we're in control. We yield control when we give thanks for something we cannot yet see. That's the, the principle of faith that God wants us to walk in. Are you thankful? Or thank less. Uh, there's an old story about a pastor who was leaving a church and he was having a farewell dinner. And he tried to one of his, encourage one of the church members. He said, don't be sad. The next pastor might be better than me. To which the church member replied, that's what they said about the last time, but it keeps getting worse. <laughs> you know, one of the things that we fall into a trap in is thanklessness. We look at our circumstances, we look at our situation, and we complain, and we whine. God, why are you letting me walk through this? God, I don't understand. It's as if God doesn't understand either. But if he is Lord over all, surely he is wise over all. He just may not have shared with us what he knows so to get to the place where he is, we thank him for what we don't yet understand. He is Lord over creation. He is saying to the Gentiles the same thing he said to the Jews. I fed them, I'll feed you because I am God and I'm in control of all things. Do you trust me? You ever been through a situation where you weren't in control anymore? And on the inside, you're just, people can't see, but on the inside, you're just torn apart. I guarantee you there's some of these kind of folks in here today, if not all of us. We're going through something on the, out, on the inside that nobody can see. God, why? I don't understand. And one of the reasons that God is allowing us to go through that is that we'll come to the same conclusion that Jesus is doing here. You got to remind yourself who is in charge, who is in control, even when we're not. 
God will allow you to go through these things to show who is Lord. He's Lord over creation. Let me give you this illustration. Maybe this will help. I can't say the guy's last name. It's Mike Hermannstorfer, something like that. He went to a Colorado hospital on Christmas Eve several years ago. His wife was pregnant and was going to have a baby. During labor, his wife, Tracy, went into cardiac arrest. Doctors told him, we're going to have to do a C-section. Get your son out right now. We'll try to revive her later. I mean, you're going, that should be a joyous time. You're going to have a baby. All of a sudden, while she's giving birth, his wife goes into cardiac arrest. They do a C-section. They take the wife away. And as they take the son out, he wasn't breathing. So on one hand, you're having your wife going through cardiac arrest, your son not being able to breathe. Here's this guy, Christmas Eve, Merry Christmas. And you're getting to experience these things, and all of a sudden, you're no longer in control. It's a very terrible feeling to not be in control, and these are sensitive circumstances. They gave the baby to the, to the father while they ran the wife off. And now all of a sudden he wasn't breathing. So next thing you know, the, the doctors around him working on the baby. The doctors are working on his wife. And he has this period of time where he is totally out of control. What do you do? Give thanks? <laughs> is that the time to give thanks? Well, Lord, I just thank you for, for all that's happening in my life right now. Merry Christmas. The Bible doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. The Bible says give thanks in all circumstances. Prepositions matter, okay? So you're giving thanks to God even when you don't understand. And unfortunately for us, fortunately for the Lord, God gives us these circumstances so we'll learn to give thanks when we're not in control. That's the principle that our Lord is teaching us here. He is the Lord over all creation. When we can't see, He does. We tend to take matters into our own hands. God knows. The story ends well. They saved his wife and they saved their baby. He calls it the miracle birth of Christmas. Well, I can think of another miracle birth at Christmas. His name is Jesus. That's kind of a, not really the point of the text. But as you look at this thing, you've got to remember Jesus is Lord of all. So let's just think of your difficult circumstance right now. Is Jesus Lord of that difficult circumstance? Yes, he is. Have you seen the answer to that difficult circumstance? Yes, perhaps not. But that doesn't change the fact that he is Lord over all creation. Right in the middle of all these hungry people, they're wanting God to move. Right in the midst of your difficult circumstances, you're waiting for God to move. Jesus calmly says, I give you thanks. Now, here's what you can do. Give thanks. You can't control the outcome. You can just do what scripture tells us to do and you'll leave the results to God. Don't you wish we could? When I prayed for my dad to, to, to have that cancer removed before he passed away, when I prayed for my mother before her ALS took her life, you really want God to go ahead and move based on our prayers, don't you? And it's a whole lot harder to say, God, you're in control, not me. I want you to be in charge of this situation. But I give you thanks because you are the God in charge of all things. And I leave it to you. I leave it to you. So we have a God that's compassionate. We have a God that's in control. But there's one other aspect we need to look at here. Look what it says in verse 3. Jesus loves the whole crowd. The whole crowd. Look what it says. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Watch verse 38. 
the number of those who ate was 4,000 besides women and children. So Jesus met not only the needs of the 4,000, met abundantly those that were above and beyond the 4,000. And what this does is it leaves us absolutely amazed. Let me ask you a question. When you came in here today, could you say these words? I am absolutely amazed by Jesus. Or are you saying, until Jesus fixes this problem, I'm going to hold back my amazement. Christians are amazed ahead of time and afterwards. We just partook of the bread and the cup because we know what Christ has done for us. Aren't you amazed by that? The fundamental truths and doctrines of the faith should always keep us amazed. But if it's just up here and not down here, it's just going to be a superfluous thing. It's not going to be all the time for real. There must be a constant sense of amazement by the Lord, at the Lord all the time. Even in the midst of your lack of supply. Even in the midst of your difficult circumstances. I was reading a story this week about Ashbel Green. Now, who here has ever heard of Ashbel Green? Come on now. We're the church historians among us. He lived in the 1700s. You don't know about Ashbel Green? Ashbel Green was one of the founders of Princeton Theological Seminary. I know that really helps. But it was said of Ashbel Green that he lived a very pious and devout life. Had a lot of people that didn't like him because he would correct them when they were wrong in their Christian life. Had a lot of people that were really hard on him because he was so strong in his convictions about the Christian life. But he was a tiger for Jesus, man. He was amazed by Jesus. And he would live in such a way that he was first, even when he couldn't control circumstances and situations. As I was reading his life, he lived a long, strong life, something unique happened at the end of his life. Just like the missionary, they couldn't find him, and finally some folks went up to check on him. You know what they found? He had passed away. But not only did he pass away, you know what he was doing? He was on his hands and his knees, and he was praying to the Lord, and that's where they found him. That's how he died, in a posture of prayer, a position of prayer. All of his life for the Lord, he knew who was in control, he knew who was compassionate to him, and he knew who loved him. A lot of times we tend to fall into this trap, and I'm almost through. If things are going good, God loves me. If things aren't going good, God stopped loving me. And, and when we get to that point, we short-circuit the blessings of God in our lives. What's the remedy? Give thanks. When you don't know what to do, give thanks to God because he does know what to do. Just give him thanks and leave the answer to him in his time.